Welcome. Good afternoon, um, ladies and gentlemen. Um, great to see you all here at today's Institute for Government event, addressing the question of how a future Labour government could successfully devolve power and reduce regional inequality. And I think I think one key issue for conversation, I think has been coming through already in uh, this conference quite strongly, is how and in what ways those two issues are related to each other and how further devolution might be a necessary part of the, the solution to regional inequality. Um, in the report written by the Commission on the Future of the UK, chaired by, by Gordon Brown, the argument was made very strongly that those things are, are, uh, are connected, uh, causally so. So I'll just read out the key quote from that in which the Commission wrote, Britain needs an irreversible shift in opportunity, income and wealth across our whole country, but that will only be guaranteed through an irreversible shift in power outwards to people across the country. So a kind of alternative way to look at the question for uh, this session is, was Gordon Brown right? And if so, what should Labour do about it um, if and when it comes to power? So that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to hearing perspectives from our great panel on. Um, just to introduce myself and the panel. So my name is Akash Pound. I'm Programme Director for Devolution at the Institute for Government in London. And we're really pleased to be working on this event in partnership with the uh, design, engineering and project management company Atkins Realis. And uh, many thanks to Atkins Realis, uh, represented here on the panel by Victoria Hutchinson uh, for their support. Um, today's event also builds on a series of private roundtable events we've hold, held in, in recent months in partnership between our two organizations um, exploring particular aspects of devolution and regional economic policy um, and hopefully some of the insights from that will be relevant to the the conversation today so in manchester first we discussed transport we heard very strongly there how poor connectivity both between north and south and within the region continues to hold back economic productivity, but we also heard how devolution was really starting to make a difference, enabling, uh, well, Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, Steve Rotherham more, uh, more recently in the news in Liverpool City region to develop better connected transport systems, for example, by taking control of the, of the bus system. Uh, so uh, transport certainly seen as a, as a key driver of, of productivity. Um, we then went to Darlington, where we talked about the challenges and opportunities of decarbonisation and, and uh, the path to net zero. And we heard how the Northeast as a region was really placing um, the green economy, low carbon industry and, uh, and um, renewable energy at the heart of its strategy for economic regeneration. Um, but we heard how government policy changes and inconsistency was undermining uh, the ability to develop long-term investment plans and, and maybe putting off investors and so on. Um, and then thirdly, in Liverpool here a couple of months ago, we talked about um, skills policy and how low qualifications levels in lots of parts of, 
of the North and the Midlands in particular, um, are a prime cause of regional disparities. And again, we heard how devolution was starting to make a difference. It was enabling metro mayors and local uh, leaders to reshape their further education and, and skill systems in light of business um, and labor market needs. But certainly, uh, we also heard that the system was still fragmented and, and underfunded. So a lot of interest, I think, across those issues in, in what Labour might do, what Labour might do differently. So quickly now to turn to our panel. Delighted to be welcomed by, uh, on my left, Sarah Jones, MP for Croydon Central since 2017 and Shadow Minister of State for Industry and Decarbonisation in post for all of about three weeks, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure you're fully across the, the brief, no doubt. Um, and Sarah's unfortunately going to leave us at about half time. So Sarah will speak first, and I'll then take a couple of questions specifically for her before uh, coming to the rest of the panel. Um, then to my right, already mentioned, Vicky Hutchinson is Director of the Environment Practice at Atkins Realis. Um, and she'll be speaking about what well, is um, interested in this topic, this question, and um, her own role in uh, the environment sector, working on challenges ranging from climate crisis to shaping how social value is created through buildings, infrastructure, and green spaces. Uh, taking that from your bio, obviously. <laughs> um, and then hopefully we will be joined by Tracy Brabin, uh, Mayor of West Yorkshire, um, who is delayed, um, but yes, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully hear from her. Uh, we'll then speak uh, hear from Anna Turley, who is Labour parliamentary candidate for Redcar, the seat she represented until 2019. Um, she's also previously worked in government, I hear, both as a civil servant and a special advisor, so you're ticking all those boxes. <laughs> Um, and then finally, to my left, my colleague Tom Pope, Deputy Chief Economist at the IFG, who leads our work on, on levelling up and other matters besides. So um, that's our excellent panel. Thank you all for being here. Sarah, um, over to you. So what, what is Labour, uh, Labour's plans for this area? How are you going to devolve power and tackle regional inequality? Thank you, and thank you so much uh, to the IFG for inviting me here as a former. Um, oh, and here's Tracy. <laughs> as a, a former senior civil servant, I'm slightly obsessed with machinery of government and how it works, and um, uh, worked on the Olympics where cross government working was probably the best it's ever been in any time uh, in recent years. But of course, we're here to talk about devolution and devolving power away from Whitehall and um, as you would imagine I do not have all the answers to that we have uh, Tracy and others who can talk about the wonderful successes that she's made the wonderful difference she's made I know that there are people who uh, thought that uh, the mayoral model would suck power up instead of sucking it down but actually the kind of leadership that we've seen from our mayors has been quite uh, inspiring and I think um, we'll hear from Tracy some of the brilliant things that she's managed to do so my uh, role is a new one and it is uh, the Shadow Minister for Industry and Decarbonisation and I sit across uh 
Johnny Reynolds' team in the business team, and I'm in Ed Miliband's team in the Net Zero team, which is a, a, an attempt by uh, Kia and others to, to, to bring these two areas together because you can't have one without the other. Uh, if we want good jobs, we've got to achieve Net Zero, and if we want to achieve Net Zero, we've got to do it through good jobs. And there is a whole devolution agenda to this policy area that I just want to touch on, and then I'll touch on a couple of broader issues. I hope you managed to be in the hall for some of the speeches today, Johnny's, Rachel's and Ed's, where all of them talked about how we're going to create the jobs of the future across the country and how we're going to enable the kind of skills agenda, the net zero agenda to come together to make sure we can deliver in every part of the country. Now, just to give some examples of how we want to do that, obviously there's the infrastructure of the Take Back Control Act uh, that Labour will be um, bringing in. But if you look at things like GB energy and if you heard um, Ed's speech you would have heard more about that so this is the idea that we have GB Energy headquartered in Scotland, um, by the way, but it is about building clean, homegrown power locally. And it is about giving um, local areas the power and the funding where they need it to do that. Um, so pots of money, yes, but also control. So in the give back control bill, uh, there will be power for energy uh, for local areas and uh, and there will be funding from Great British Energy as well. Uh, and I think that shows the kind of direction of travel of all of this agenda because those good jobs are not going to be created from Whitehall, they're going to be created by investment from the private sector, which we need to bring in by making sure we're doing the right jobs in the right areas. Um, Great British jobs is a uh, 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 part of the 28 billion that we're committing as the green prosperity um, plan that is about enabling uh, funding which we then will get extra funding from the private sector to deliver but putting jobs in areas where we need them. So the old industrial areas that we need to replace with renewable energy and the, the, the energy of the future, we want to put jobs in those areas. So where Anna is, you know, we need to be creating jobs. We need to be um, looking at where we're putting things like carbon capture, which on Teesside is, you know, perfect, uh, where we can put hydrogen, where we can put uh, nuclear, where we can put all of these uh, different renewable energies. And, and so government has a role to provide the funding to encourage the private sector to come in and across that there'll be uh, an industrial strategy to make sure there is a plan there but it has to be delivered locally so the plans that were announced this week about education and the FE sector um, were about replacing um, transferring existing um, FE colleges to new technical excellence centres but they are about local areas, local government, local employers, local universities, working out what skills you need in that local area. It's not for central government to decide that. It's that the power should be in the hands of local communities. So across a raft of areas, we are looking to push that power down, use the power of our mayors, which has been transformational in, uh, in, in many parts of the country, but also use the power of local government. And when um, Ed talks about GB Energy, he said in his speech today, we're going to invest a billion 
pounds a year on local renewable power owned by local people. That is devolution <laughs> um, at its very core. Um, I could talk more, but I probably um, shouldn't. Um, but I think the whole um, principle of how we build the new industries uh, that are going to bring the jobs that we need for the future, how we're going to compete with America. I've spent time this week talking to the Americans um, and Europeans about all of the ways they're encouraging investment into the country. And the UK government has a huge role there to set the industrial strategy, to set the parameters to encourage uh, private sector in. But what we need locally should be owned locally because central government doesn't uh, doesn't have all the answers. So looking at what Gordon Brown uh, set out, looking at what um, all of our mayors and our local governments are telling us they need, um, we will have that piece of legislation alongside national pieces of legislation like the New Deal for Working People, which will give people rights locally and, and all of the rest of the labour agenda. We can create the jobs of the future, but they'll be owned uh, and the energy will be owned and the jobs will be owned at the local area and I think that is um, uh, Labour's approach whether you talk to uh, Johnny in business, Ed in uh, Net Zero or Keir or Rachel, that's what we want to see and that's what hopefully uh, you're beginning to see uh, set out this week and hopefully you'll hear more from Keir as well tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thanks. So, um, as mentioned, I'm uh, happy to take a couple of questions specifically for Sarah, um, if anyone would like to raise their hands. Yeah, we'll take, a, we'll take a couple. I think we have a microphone. Do we have a microphone? Yes, there comes the microphone. So, there's the lady there in, uh, there in, the, yeah, in the red and then the gentleman here. Um, we'll take a couple together. So if one more person wants to stick their hand up, we can probably do three. Yeah, after you, sir. So, yeah. Thank you. It's Helen Tomlinson from First Government with CLP. Um, I'm particularly um, interested, obviously, in what that will mean for rural areas because um, um, uh, you know, industry gets talked about a lot, but I just want to put a plug for rural areas to be thought about as well. Right, and do, do you mean... Uh, in relation to devolution, particularly? Well, devolution and the green policies. Specifically yeah. around the green policies, yeah, okay, thanks. And yeah, the gentleman here then. Uh, Tony Carroll, um, Rugby CLP. Sarah, you talked there about uh, FE colleges transitioning to um, new technical centres. I'd be very interested to hear more about that. We've got a, a sort of incubator gigafactory just outside Coventry. It's a 10% good to go, ready to go with apprenticeships on the, ready to go as well, all written, you know, all mapped out. So if we could do that with local colleges in the Coventry and Warwickshire area, I'd be very interested in getting that on the go. Great, thanks. Is there one more question from the room? Um, okay, thanks. Otherwise, um, well, Sarah, let me also just ask you one question. I didn't catch those speeches you mentioned today, so this might have been clarified, but in relation to um, Rishi Sunak's recent speech on, on Net Zero, when he changed some of the, the milestones and, and targets mm. for when we phase out petrol cars, uh, gas boilers and so on, I know you were critical of that at the time. Is it Labour's plan to switch back um, those, those targets to, yep. to, to what they were before? Yep. Um, and therefore, do you, yeah, so you don't, do you not buy any of the government's uh, concern about the whether that those 
uh, timelines are actually deliverable and, and the costs that will be felt by people if, if we're going to reach those. Well, just to take that one first, I mean, yeah. the government is right to be concerned about um, failing to meet any of their targets on any level anywhere. Um, they are, uh, as we know, uh, in charge of managed decline over the last 13 years. We haven't had an industrial strategy. We haven't had plans updated. Uh, you look at the national grid um, that is uh, people are waiting 13, 15 years to link up to. We've got £200 billion worth of investment that is ready to go. But because they're waiting for grid access, uh, they're just uh, sat there um, waiting um, it is extraordinary how little this government has intervened to try and uh, deliver good jobs for the future when they do intervene, throw money at things right at the last minute as they did with Port Talbot and Tata Steel, £500 million, uh, which is probably also going to lead to about 3,000 people losing their jobs. So the lack of a plan, the lack of any certainty, the lack of any incentive for business to invest in this country is quite extraordinary. And the automotive target that they've pushed back, um, we think we can meet to 2030 target uh, the automotive sector and lots of other sectors when they heard that that was being pushed back were very um, uh, very angry in some cases disappointed in others but the lack of certainty is absolutely key I was with uh, private equity and venture capitalists yesterday who were saying look um, we are going to invest in America because we don't know what is happening you may think that we love a free market we don't we want a we want certainty just tell us what the policy is and we will we will invest around it and create and and, and it makes it very hard uh, if the government keep changing the goalposts there are some of their targets such like um heat pumps where it's impossible to meet they haven't created a market for heat pumps there isn't the the uh, network of um grants for them they're, they're beyond um the, the, the ability of people to pay for them at the moment so there are some of those targets that they're not going to meet because they've just failed is their target that failed to meet it but we think the automotive one we can meet uh, so we think we should stick to that mm -hmm. and helen in rural areas um very very important and of course lots of jobs of the future could potentially be um uh, uh, not just in our old cities and industrial heartlands but in other areas too so if you're looking um uh, around the coastline in terms of offshore if you're looking for onshore wind if you're looking at solar you know there are opportunities across uh, the country to develop things in different places and if you look at the map of where um, um uh, where the grid goes and if you think of it like uh, you would uh, the train tracks or uh, our canalways, they go to all of the places where we were using energy intensive old forms of, uh, of energy. Actually, we need it to go to all the new parts of the country where we can be doing renewable energy, too. So I think you're right to highlight it. It's very important. And of course, we need to look across the whole country uh, and find um, solutions on uh, the technical education. I think that, that goes hand in hand with the apprenticeship um, changes that we've announced as well so we know the apprenticeship levy hasn't worked we know over a billion pounds of apprenticeship levy funding hasn't even been allocated because it just doesn't work for businesses it's too stiff it doesn't it doesn't uh, flex enough according to what we need so uh, the, the the changes to apprenticeships that we're announcing and the changes to technical um, excellence colleges where um, local organizations will come together and decide what they think is needed it will then go to skills England as well because we'll have a national strategy so we'll need to make sure those are aligned we need, we need to be in lockstep with each other but i think that will unlock opportunity each sector that we need to transition each uh, new renewable energy that we want to build it will all involve different skills some will be easily transferable 
others won't. Uh, I was talking in a previous meeting about the oil and gas sector, which will carry on for decades to come, but we need to make that transition and how actually the skills from that sector will help us with hydrogen, um, will help us with floating offshore wind. So we need to do these things in a, in a complicated way. There's no one single answer. But I think if you're devolving power, if you're, if you're letting local organisations, local areas identify the need that they have, that has to be the right way to approach the, the problem. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd like to bring in the rest of the panel now, starting with uh, with Vicky. Um, so uh, Vicky, how, in your view, could uh, business, including of course your own business, Atkins Realis, work with Labour to help a future Labour government achieve its objectives? Thank you. Yeah. So we think that business has a really important role to play in two key respects. So one, in terms of the technical knowledge that we bring, and secondly, in terms of us as an employer. So let me pick off both of those points. So in case you have no idea who Atkins Realis are, um, we build homes, um, we provide end-to-end -end services. So whether it's planning, design, um, delivery, uh, support with operations and maintenance, or even decommissioning, we work across homes, um, energy, new nuclear, small modular reactors, fusion, um, we do transport, uh, defence, airports, you mention it, if it's infrastructure related, we do it. So in terms of the technical knowledge that we bring, we know how to design inclusive communities with green space that creates benefits for people and nature. We know that that creates opportunity for health and well-being and links to economic opportunity. And we know that transport is really important for getting people to jobs and young people to education. So we think we're central to that and we think we've got a role to play. Also, we know what happens when that goes wrong. Okay? So when that doesn't work, we end up with disparity. When we don't have great places for people, people leave and you see the brain drain. And then the people that are left behind have low skills, low productivity, GVA goes down, there's low investment, people can't adopt um, new technologies and innovation. And that's where we see our role as an employer, because we need people to want to stay in the areas where we're building infrastructure. We need local people to want to remain and be part of a vibrant community. So we see ourselves as having a really important part to play in investing in social value. And that can be working with educational organisations and we've just developed a partnership with Governors for Schools so our employees are going to go and sit on the board of Governors for Schools and so that we can help bridge the gap between education and business. Um, but we also see ourselves as really important locus of innovation so we work with the universities with specialist supply chain to help bring that and bring productivity to a region. Um, and we see ourselves as investors in the skills base. And of course, we take on apprenticeships as well. So it's really important for us to be able to support thriving communities because that helps us have a thriving business. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, 
Um, great. Okay, so Tracy, um, over to you next. Yeah, thank thanks. You. Thank you for joining. Thanks ever so much, and thanks to Atkins, and thanks Akash, and really great to see colleagues, um, ex-colleagues. Um, look, first, I'm going to use this as a bit of therapy, if you don't mind, because we're talking about devolution. And haven't we seen this week how this government do not understand um, what devolution means and local leaders? How is it possible that one single individual, it seems, and, and advisors sitting in a hotel room in Manchester with a set of crayons, carving up our country after a decade of investment and commitment and hard work, brain power, collaboration, political consensus to deliver HS2 to connect the fourth biggest cities of our country together to bring jobs and investment and training and, and businesses in my Yorkshire telling me, you know, we've lost our competitiveness. How is that? How is that that he is allowed to do that? There must be checks and balances that it, it can't just be one person's peccadillo that they don't like HS2. So they're, they're just cutting it overnight without fundamentally any conversation with Northern leaders. Now I went I went on a couple of media rounds and I said, you know, we're not we weren't spoken to. Mark Harper came to Bradford to and I had to smile and nod to launch um, the two billion pounds we're hopefully getting jammed tomorrow for Bradford. And he said, Tracy, you you said that I didn't talk to you. Well I did talk to you. He gave me ten minutes of his time before the announcement. That is not collaboration. That is not devolution. That is not working together for the country, for the the, the benefit of the whole country. So uh, this this government is the dying days of a government, isn't it? So the future looks really rosy and positive because I understand really understand how Gordon Brown's work on the, on the future of the United Kingdom has landed in, in Labour. They absolutely get it. But interestingly, when we launched it in Leeds, it was Gordon, myself and Kia, there's lots of media from London came up and their first question was, one of many questions, you're going to abolish the House of Lords. So it's absolutely indicative of the Westminster bubble's obsession with itself. I had um, uh, an advisor from number 10 get on the train from London to Leeds to come to my office to tell me I couldn't have a green roof on Halifax bus station and I should change the colour of the bins. I was the, the audacity of this central control and the grip. We are the most centralised country in the whole of the Western world. And... The future is bright from Labour because Labour understands if you are going to grow the economy, the opportunity of investing in the North, investing in transport, investing in skills, investing in housing, how rapidly you could see growth. And I would say that as mayor over the last couple of years, being the mayor of West Yorkshire, it's a region of 2.4 million people, seven universities, five huge really strong, identifiable local authorities coming together. We have drawn in, drawn down £2.8 billion worth of investment. And we have used that to put right some of the wrongs that have, we've been seeing over the last decade. So just a couple of things. Skills. Now, 
uh, real adult education budget is £65 million, but that is five different funding streams. That is different deadlines, different departments. It's not fit for purpose. Transport, we can't um, go, we can't buy our own buses because government have said we can't do it. So next week, we're making the decision to go to public consultation on franchising our bus network. You've seen Andy Burnham launch their B network, those yellow buses. I'm so jealous of his yellow buses. And Steve Rotherham, um, he's got to the decision point that they're going to go to franchising. Labour mayors in power have been able to set the weather when it comes to particularly around buses. We are determined to deliver mass transit. Where Leeds is the only city of its size in Europe without a mass transit network. We're already on with that. Um, and when Mark Harper said Tracy's got 500 million for mass transit, what he didn't add is that's 2027. So this government has taken local leaders and metro mayors for fools to some degree. Ma Michael Gove, I really do think he believed in devolution, but it can't be a one-man band. It has to be every department bought into it. And I know, having conversations with Kia, with Rachel, with Angie, with Lou, that they understand the power of mayors, that we can work with them collectively and we can deliver. Because, think about this, in the first year of a Labour government, we are already delivering, but we can deliver at speed the, the ambitions for Labour government. So people will see that finally, after 14 years of being promised the earth when it comes to transport, 60 different occasions Northern Powerhouse Rail has been, has been announced. It's been in three manifestos. The Prime Minister has committed to Crossrail for the North before it was pulled. To give Northern um, communities spades in the ground on transport projects in the north. Just think what that can say to the country. So that is why I am campaigning and pushing really hard for a single settlement. You'll have seen that Greater Manchester and West Midlands have a single settlement from government, that they have one pot of money, that they're not having to go back to Westminster with a begging bowl, say, can we have some more money for these projects? When Bradford bid for a levelling up fund, it, it cost them, the bid itself cost them £600,000 and they weren't successful. What an absolute waste of money. Give us that single settlement. Give us further powers on skills. And businesses here and um, Atkins will be the same. You need skilled workforce. I can deliver that bespoke, unique, skilled workforce for you. Also, just finally, on housing. I grew up in social housing in Batley. I know the value of a council property and the stability it gives you so you can go on and flourish and live your best life. Now, I've really struggled with brownfield housing. My target was 5,000 affordable, sustainable homes. When we're inching over uh, 3,000, we're hoping to get as near as we can. But how can we when the benefit-cost benefit ratio of land in Bradford just doesn't make the economic case? I've said to Michael, go give us the powers to have projects drawn together under one umbrella so we can get that BCR to work. And why is it that Homes England, whilst we have a partnership, one in three in the country, it's a fantastic partnership. I'm looking forward to working with them. But they're sat on a load of cash that we could just get on and start building these council properties that our communities are desperate for, families living in bed and breakfast 
breakfast for years on end, um, struggling with their, their mental health and their kids' um, uh, well-being. So I'm, I'm looking forward, really, I can't tell you, I'm counting the days, to the next general election because I know that a Labour government working with Labour mayors, Labour councillors, Labour council leaders, um, uh, and working with Labour activists, I know that we can rebuild this country that works for working people. And that, I think, is why Rachel got four standing ovations, because she's saying what we are crying out to, out to hear. And as Metro mayors, unlock that grip from the centre, and you will see growth across the whole country. Thank you, Tracy. So I think you have yes. to leave now, but um, you've heard very clearly what uh, at least one of our La Labour's Metro Mayors yeah. <laughs> is calling for. Uh, Tracy, one follow-up question yeah. for you. You mentioned being jealous of Andy Burnham's yellow buses. What, what colour are the West Yorkshire buses going to be there? <laughs> well, we're actually going out to, um, we're going out to um, a, a competition. Okay. What would the network be called and what would it look like? We're worried about Booty McBoatface. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, a Brabin network would be good. Um, no, I, I just, I just, I just, it could be a rose. Um, no, but I think the, the public will help us decide that. We're, we're a wee ways away from it, sure. but I think keeping that conversation going that we have that transport plan, which is mass transit connected to buses that, that are effective and affordable, that London star bus network, tap in, tap out, where you don't have to look at a timetable because you know the bus is coming in 10 minutes and linked to active travel we've just launched 300 electric uh, bikes um making that that network um where people can get to jobs and skills where i can thicken that um the labor market by making sure we can have that connectivity yeah great okay um and uh, yeah quick plug for future bit of ifg work we're currently recording a podcast on english devolution as part of which tom and i last week took one of the Greater Manchester big yellow buses and <laughs> <laughs> recorded an interview there. So look out oh. for that, or listen out for that, I should say. Um, Anna, over to you, really interested in your take on what the North East and uh, Tees Valley, where you're, you're hoping to be re-elected as MP, uh, would like to see from the Labour government. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Akash. And, and what a pleasure to follow through fabulous women. Um, it's just brilliant um, and so inspiring to hear you know, what Tracy is, you know, putting labour values into action. And for those of us that feel like we've, you know, we have been in opposition for so many years, to see uh, the real kind of value, the real tangible difference and impact you can make to our communities, it's terrific. So thank you so much. And I guess I'm here today representing, and formally representing and hoping again to represent Redcar, which is a town which is the absolute epitome of what levelling up should be about, is the epitome of what regional inequality um, means. A town that feels for too long it's been left behind, that would be described as post-industrial, all of these terms that we see in here and of course has all the tangibles to demonstrate that child poverty rate of 39% much much higher in some wards over 60 in some of our wards a youth unemployment rate that's two and a half times national average but a place with massive massive potential a place where people are really really proud of where they live and really determined that having been the beating heart on the last industrial revolution are going to be the future of the next um, green industrial revolution that, that Sarah talked so passionately about um, but at the moment they don't feel that democracy, politics, parliament, the economy and society is valuing them, is working for them. And we've seen that in a number of ways. We saw, we've seen, you know, 
Labour has been represented by all three major parties in the last 10 years. It's been Lib Dem, it's been Labour, it's been Tory. It voted 67% for Brexit. It's saying things aren't working for us. Why is nobody listening to us? And um, you know, they feel really strongly that they have the, the vision, the values, the understanding of their area. They want to have the power devolved to them to help shape their area, whether that's town centre regeneration, whether that's more so over their transport or their bus links, whether that's, and this has come out from interviews we, we've done with local people about things like social care, care for the elderly, they want more say and more power, whether that's activities for young children to prevent antisocial behaviour. These are all things that people feel they have very strong views and want to talk about. And um, one example that pops into my head when Sarah was talking, which I think this, this, the point about local energy being harnessed and being, bringing benefits locally is incredibly powerful for someone like Redco, where I don't know if any of you have ever been, but if you stand on the beach, the wind turbines are so close, you almost feel like you can reach out and touch them. We are about to, we are going to potentially be a hydrogen village um, with new uh, potential um, trials in hydrogen heating. People in America, as I said, have this history of industry. And they're open to, to change, to, to new ways of working, but they haven't seen or felt the benefits of that. The bills are still going up. They feel like things are done to them and they're told to embrace change, but they don't feel they get a say in it or they feel the benefits of it. And I think there's just something so important as we work through our offer for what devolution levelling up is, that we're bringing people with us on a, a part of that journey and giving them the meaningful opportunities for that. Um, and as Tracy said, you know, we're, we're wrestling in terms of being one of the most centralised countries, we, we already were. And I thought when the Tories came post-2019 with this big levelling up agenda, I mean, first of all, I thought, fantastic, great, at last, you know, we're going to get investment in our area. But I also, I admit, you know, politically thought, oh, God, that's it, we're going to be out for a generation because they've hit the thing that we know matters here. Um, and this was a generational opportunity to eradicate the structural inequality that we've got in this country in areas like that. But it's actually already been wasted. It's gone because they weren't willing, ironically, to do the long-term difficult decisions that meant big shifts of political power, of economic power, which is why the, the idea that their conference slogan was whatever it was, long-term decisions in the, I mean, it, the brass neck of that when HS2 was the embodiment of, of cutting, you know, as a short-term decision-making, their levelling up has all been about short-term leaflet fodder, uh, instant impact things, rather than really difficult decisions to to, to restructure our economy. And, and actually, you know, we know we had the Prime Minister boasting about funneling money from wealthier, uh, from poorer areas to wealthier areas, so perhaps we should have seen, seen the, the agenda there. But um, I just think the whole levelling up approach is not, is, is not generally, it's, it's more centralisation. Why are we having to bid, compete against other areas for town centre funding, for levelling up money, and a civil servant in Whitehall is telling us that we can have a swimming pool in Eston, or we can have a cycle lane in Normanby, or we can have a chess thing in our park. I mean, what? How on earth is that a good way to run a country and have decision making in a Whitehall bottleneck? It's bizarre. And we know that it's just a total political agenda targeted at keeping seats like Redcar, um, because it, in many ways it's effective. You know, we, we had local elections in May and we lost three, sorry, four out of six seats in, a, in areas where £20 million levelling up money went in, and Michael Gove came up with a big banner, £20 million for Eston, and the narrative was Labour's never done anything for you, at last the Tories are putting money into your area. And, you know, we were sitting there thinking, well, Eston, you know, we it's got it had a working centre the toys have shut had all these short starts libraries you know school refurbishment minimum wage you know tax credits all these things that were helping to lift people structurally so I think we've got a lot to 
we don't want to replicate what they're doing, but I think they're, they're, they're very clever in the way that they have been able to communicate what leveling up looks like. And for us, I think there's no good doing the brilliant stuff. We've got to talk about how this is our labor values and, and we, we're showing people that we're caring a, about them because I think, unfortunately, for too long, they just haven't felt that. Um, so I, I think this is the wrong kind of, um, of delivery. And I do, um, I'm a massive fan of, of what Tracy, what Andy, what Steve are doing, particularly on Tracy transport it's fantastic to see but I also do have a few concerns about some of the mayoral model and I say that because I live in the Tees Valley where we have a mayor um, and we have the former steelworks site um, now known as Tees Works and any of you read Private Eye I hope you all do um, because Tees Works is currently there every fortnight um, and it's pretty shocking um, that that form of devolution has basically meant um, gifting public assets to pub to sorry, public assets to private developers. And we have a site now that is 90% in the hands of private developers who are creaming off all the assets, who are stripping it dry, and the public value of that has gone because there's been no scrutiny, no accountability, no uh, transparency in the accounting. And um, by building, having corporations, the Freeport sort of approach, this has enabled them to circumvent decades of quite sophisticated local government uh, procurement process which kind of came about for a reason because we've seen this stuff in the past so again we want to get the right balance we want to free our mayors to do brilliant brilliant stuff but we've got to make sure that actually if you've got um pernicious uh people who want to just make money out of big development opportunities they're not going to be allowed to do that so that the next generation of kids in redka the sons and daughters of the steel workers who lost their jobs on that site are, are frozen out on a site that is basically not no longer of public benefit it's just making millions of pounds for a couple of uh, developers and it's not bringing the local jobs and opportunities and giving local people the the say you need so, sorry for the rant but you can see here you know this is this is this this site has the, the potential to transform red current seaside's economy and it's got to be for the benefit of people so so that, that's my kind of about leveling up absolutely but it's got to be structural it's got to be you know led for the people and it's got to be properly uh, managed and we've got to uh, work on the assumption that not everybody will have the same values that uh, that tracy and andy and steve have so um thanks thanks again for having me let's make sure we get the balance right and do the structural stuff but um we'll make that impact too. Thanks, Thank you. I was I was expecting and waiting for T's works to come up as I otherwise. But uh, yeah, more structure, thinking about accountability and transparency around uh, devolution sounds like good IFG kind of uh, messages. So glad to be on the same page. Finally over to uh, Tom. So Tom you studied the economic evidence base on uh, how to bring about growth and how to reduce regional inequality. What works? What are the insights that you think incoming Labour government should bear in mind as they develop their plans? Thanks, Akash. Um, um, yeah, I've enjoyed all the contributions already and would agree with much of them. I think stepping back a bit, the truth about the evidence is that there aren't easy answers here. And what we're talking about is a 15 or 20 year project if we want to make a meaningful dent in regional inequalities. And that's because they don't just exist because of one or two decisions that have been made over five or 10 years. They exist because of you know, deep economic structural forces that have built up over centuries and decades of government policy that, um, that have also more often tended to accentuate rather than reduce some of those inequalities and that means that getting to a situation where there isn't such a large gap in productivity between 
London and the southeast and the rest is going to take time. And frankly, there is a limit on some of those deep structural points about how much progress you can make in, in say, one term, three or four years, five years. Um, now, there are some things that I think looking at the evidence we do know will work. If you look at where England in particular stands out to other Western countries, you look at our um, cities outside of London, you see that they're not the economic powerhouses that they should be, but actually often they're below average productivity when in other countries they're 10 or 20% more productive. Mm. And we know that you know agglomeration building up cities can be really powerful. That's a massive untapped potential here in the UK. Partly that's because our um, sort of city transport systems aren't as good as they are, which effectively makes our cities kind of smaller than they should be in, in economic reality. That's something that we need to try and fix. That will take time to fix. You know, building that investment in, you're not going to get that um, feedback straight away. Likewise, on skills, we know that there's sort of a, a deficit in um, non-university education. We know that there are big skills mismatches in the UK as well. So not just that we don't necessarily have the skills we might want, but that in particular places, there's a gap between the jobs that are available and the skills that people there actually have. That means people end up, say they may even have quite good qualifications, but they're not in a job that can make the most of those. Now that, that's an opportunity there for us to try to I think it's a real case for devolution, actually, where lo local skills systems can better understand what the local needs are. But again, if you think about reskilling someone, you start a, a three-year course now, they're only going to enter the labour market in three years, you're only going to see the productivity benefits a long way down the line. I think if we step back, that sort of sets out why politically this has been so difficult for successive governments. And levelling up was just the latest of a series of attempts by governments to try and, and fail to grapple with this problem. And there have been a set of familiar policy-making failures that we've seen with regional policy. A failure to really define what the objective of policy is, you know, sort of wishy-washy words rather than specific targets. Massive problems of policy churn, of, of starting a policy and then changing it up later, and of setting up new institutions and then abolishing them and setting up similar institutions on top of them. Um, poor cross-government working, the tendency for you know, transport to think about its own priorities and education to think about its own priorities and not to join those up. And then poor working with local government as well, which others have already touched upon. Now, devolution is definitely part of the solution there and can start to um, overcome some of those challenges, particularly in terms of joining up the different economic levers that we have and actually turning them into coherent economic strategy at a local level. And likewise, I think there tends to be a better sticking at local um, local industrial plans than there are national industrial strategies. You see that many of the local industrial strategies set up under the now defunct national industrial strategy are still going. So you tend to get less policy churn. But I would make a case that devolution on its own can't be the whole answer. And we're also relying on central government to provide the strategy to fix the funding in the way that um, both Tracy and Anna outlines. Um, and really, it does have to be led, led from Whitehall, or at least a, a co-lead from Whitehall and, and mayors as well. And I think there's, you know, if you look at central government, this isn't going to work if it's just a Department of Leveling Up project, because most of the levers are littered across various other departments. And where Leveling Up has fallen down, it's when it's become less of a cross-government priority and just been for that department. 
and, and we've been looking at this in recent work about what does central government need to do to deliver something like leveling up. The first thing that's sort of important above all else is a clear indication that it's a political priority to signal both outside of government but also inside of government that addressing regional inequalities really is a priority. And there are other things as well, but in the interest of time, I would just say that it's really important that Labour sets out how regional inequality fits within Keir Starmer's five missions. Now, it isn't one of the missions, although it, it could be a through line through all of them. But I think at the moment it's not clear you know, where DLUC fits in, whether or how addressing regional inequalities really is a priority for Labour. And if you want to deal with these really thorny structural issues, there needs to be that communication from the top. And I'll stop there. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I think also an interesting question you, you looked at in your team is around the missions and targets and metrics and what Labour might put in place, perhaps in, instead of the, the levelling up missions that government's legislating for, in fact. But we can, we'll leave that one for now because I want to bring in uh, more people from the room. So, uh, yeah, please raise your hands. We'll take a few questions. Um, and so I saw the gentleman there in the first place and then the lady behind so gentlemen there with the uh yeah is it a red hanky or a rose <laughs> then the lady there and then the two chaps in front first Adam, thank you so much that was inspiring oh, looking forward to you um, putting yourself forward for parliament thank you um i'm the founder of a charity called the social Mobility business partnership that helps over 700 children from low-income backgrounds get work experience and lifetime career coaching that's my weekend leaving's job i'm also the general counsel of a big FTSE company um, based in the southwest i'd like to understand if the labor government of the future will be taking or going where the data takes them because the southwest is in desperate need mm. the ons multiple indicators of deprivation tell me one thing one thing alone the opportunities are to the southwest there's a huge ice lolly eclipse everybody sees the beautiful beaches the holidays and given it's a very blue part of the country will labor see past that and will they invest their policy to ensure that those parts of the country do get focus? Okay, yeah, good question. It's probably a good one to put to Sarah, who's <laughs> not with us, but if anyone has thoughts on that, then great. Yes. Hi, um, I work on employment and skills policy and I was in an event in um, Skills Hub earlier and I was actually slightly surprised by the levels of nervousness around information that there were in that event from two different perspectives. One from a provider talking about the challenge of dealing already with different um, combined authorities and the kind of different things that they need to do, different kind of requirements that they need to meet need to kind of shape themselves differently. So they were worried about further devolution complications that landscape for them and then also actually um people who um, cared about like particularly marginalized communities and um, were concerned that you know, we were going to see kind of like quite different standards in different parts of the country as a result of kind of letting places go their own way and that you know you'd end up with kind of young people in one part of the country having particular opportunities um, that others then couldn't kind of break into if they came from a different part of the country so i mean personally i you know centralization didn't create great things on either of those counts so like I, I'm, I feel less worried but I'm interested to hear from this panel about standards kind of so kind of clear standards to kind of support interoperability as it were using the yeah. tech term and accountability yeah thanks and uh, yeah that's Emily Andrews XIFG so yeah people <laughs> just saying you are hi Emily <laughs> um, yes uh, so we have yeah George here uh, uh, George Parrott, Society of uh, Labour Lawyers, I think for this purpose in, in the Constitution Group. Um, 
Just picking up on Anna's point about Teesside and Teesworks, I can see why you, you draw the conclusion that it raises sort of questions about the mayoral model and particularly internal governance. I draw a slightly different conclusion from it, which is partly because it's not the only example of serious um, waste, um, misallocated spending in local government. Um, and one can think of examples of councils which do not have the mayoral model, which have done pretty spectacularly bad things. And there is a, a, a general problem that a lot of local authorities have not published accounts for a number of years. I think the lesson I would draw is that what you really need is uh, the return of something like the Audit Commission that was okay. abolished by the coalition in 2011, a really solid uh, body that has the powers to interrogate and conduct the sort of inquiry that's now being done in a rather ramshackle way on these works, mm -hmm. um, but to do so in a more systematic way and to keep a much closer eye on local government um, and you know, the way in which local government spends its money. Okay. Um, and that needs to also to be independent central government it shouldn't just be a sort of policeman of the center yeah thanks okay do we need already commission back thank you good question and yeah the, the, the man here thanks um steven muir's from big society capital the social impact investor um really interesting to hear the examples of economic development skills transport and how devolution can un unpack all those which i think makes a lot of sense i was interested in the panel like to say a bit about the opportunities that devolution offers around public service delivery as well as obviously one of the other key priorities for the local government um money is going to be tight there may be ways of doing things differently if you uh, um, uh, create different partnerships with third sector private sector other actors at, at a local level um, we been involved in some work certainly with Greater Manchester and now where some of the devolution freedoms they have enabled them to do some really things on homelessness which have actually uh, delivered very impressively but I'm interested in yeah I remember some kind of thoughts on that sort of public disservice delivery yeah. as a devolution opportunity. Thanks yeah re re really important one I think thanks for that question okay so we've got what about the southwest um question about nervousness about or reflecting on the nervousness in some places about Complications from devolution, question of what needs to be kept in common, common standards and so on, particularly around skills. Do we need an audit commission? And uh, yeah, what about public service devolution? Tracy, uh, yeah. feel free to pick up any. Yeah, could I just I pick up about the scrutiny and Anna, honestly, it makes for great reading if you if you want to Google private eye and what's been going on there. It is like some sort of gangster movie from New York, isn't it? Um I would say I'd slightly push back on that because I think the problem there is the lack of scrutiny. We in West Yorkshire have three different scrutiny committees where I am held to account by talented chairs of the scrutiny committee. But also with the single settlement, I've been saying I'm very happy to go in front of select committees in Parliament. The Audit Commission sounds like a brilliant idea. To hold us to account, of course, on our outcomes. But I, I would say once you start to control and micromanage because you've seen failings, that's the end of devolution. We have to be bold, but also protect ourselves from failure. Um, and just finally, if I, I just pick up on skills as well. It may be that there isn't that coherent offer across the whole country because each region is so different. And that's where mayors and devolution come into their own because we can acknowledge what we need. So, for example, we needed bus drivers because the bus companies were saying we are hopeless at punctuality because we don't have enough drivers. 
So I was able to work, work with a company to go into very disadvantaged communities, open up a closed community centre, work with the community, get people to interview for bus drivers. And we, we recruited a huge cohort of bus drivers, young men furthest away from employment, being able to match them with telecoms um, short skills shortage, 800 Men, uh, mainly men, have gone on courses, 90% have got jobs in, in telecoms, well-paid, lifetime jobs um, working in our community, bringing that money back into, into their families and into our, um, our economy. We can be very bespoke and act at speed. Um, and finally, just where skills, for example, in the creative sector, Channel 4 is in Leeds. Yeah. We are investing massively in the creative industries, being able to run courses that are very bespoke production accountants. You're just pivoting people from accountancy into on-set production. We can do that boot camp and then deliver that, that pipeline of skilled workforce. Of course, it is going to be different. And I would hope that skills providers are not seeing this as a, sort of an opportunity to make money, but actually to transform these local areas into um, a, a better uh, richer economy because we have that skilled workforce. And unfortunately, I have to go now. Like, I've got Josh at the back waving yeah. at me. So it's been an absolute pleasure. So apologies, I've got to run. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay. All right, and then there were three. <laughs> so, uh, Vicky. Thanks. Um, I can really understand why uh, education providers would feel nervous, to your point. I've been in the situation myself where I've seen that um, young people can start, say, level one in construction at one college and find that then the level two in construction that they want to go on and study is not accessible at the same college and they can't get to the next college because they can't reach it by bus because the bus services are so poor. I have to say, fortunately, I live in Bolton, who were the first town to get the, uh, the B network. So it, it wasn't in Bolton where that happened. But I can see the fragmentation that exists already. So I think the opportunity is really um, for businesses to work more closely we are finding that we can engage with the metro mayors much more easily than we have um, engaged ever before and that the metro mayors take a really holistic approach to place irrespective in a lot of cases of um, their political persuasions they really put the the place first so i do think that um, really the opportunity through devolution and through kind of um, metro and combined authority led or you know, political organisations is really there for uh, for the, the best way forward for local people. Thank you. Um, Anna, do you want to say something maybe, feel free to respond on the other points, but about uh, public service delivery and, and whether that should be more, more of the um, devolution debate, bigger part of the devolution Yeah, debate. happy to start with that. Um, I've always believed in the value, the huge, huge value of the third sector community, voluntary sector, social enterprise. Um, I was very lucky to have a brief six months as shadow minister for civil society um, and, and you know, really wanted to do some big things about because I do think, you know, I, I'm very much focused on the, the outcome, achieving the ends you want to achieve and the 
partnerships that you need, the local communities, the different organisations that can provide that. I've seen how so many community and voluntary sector organisations can build relationships with people that state agencies just can't um, and deliver outcomes that they can't and have flexibility that often they can't. So I think, um, you know, I always welcome kind of partnership approach um, at local level um, and I'm not, you know... Um, for me, it's more about you know making sure people, the public, get the service that they deserve and the outcomes uh, that they deserve. So, so um, I hope to see a lot more of that um, from the Labour Party. Um, I'd like to um, take the first one as well, which I think is a really important question about um, being data driven. I really, you know, I think the southwest, absolutely, and rural areas, going back to the point made earlier, deserve massive investment. And I know, you know, we've, we've just had an era where we've had enough of experts. And actually, I'd quite like to go back to an era of experts. I'd quite like to go back to an era of evidence based policy making. And for me, areas where, you, you know, you have things like the, the index of deprivation and money flows where it's needed and, how, you know, in, where you can make the most impact rather than, you know, what are the seats that you want to keep which is what we're seeing at the moment so i really hope and i can't make this commitment but i really hope that, that i think you know given kia's background perhaps as well and rachel's background i hope that we will be a sort of data driven and needs-based labor government because again that's in keeping with our values and move away from this port barrel politics we've seen um, and then just finally, um, I, I think you're right about, you know, it's, it's not, I don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater because there's great, great stuff with the mayoral model. Um, perhaps it's more about the development corporation model, which is the, that's probably the issue. Create, basically create a company so that you can circumvent all the, you know, checks and balances on a state um, body. So, you know, how can a company be set up that can give away first 50% and then 90% of, of, of public land? It's just it's just wrong. So uh, I, I think we've been told that three line we're not allowed to make policy announcements as prospective candidates, and rightly so, uh, but I would love to secretly, I would love to see the Audit Commission come back. I think that's it's had a hugely important role um, and we need those checks and balances in place. So um, That's a former civil servant side coming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, these things are important and they develop over decades for a reason because yeah. you know you, you, you need these checks and balances of course you have to make sure they're fleet of foot um but they have to be properly funded as well and i think too often what we've seen from whether it's the environment agency you know hse so many of these really important bodies have just been absolutely obliterated in the last 13 years and so we're seeing you know on teesworks as well deaths on site all sorts of things because these these important bodies which the tourists might call bureaucracy or over regulation have developed over many years to to protect and preserve things that are important yeah. Okay. Thanks. And um, final word to you, Tom. Thanks, Akash. Just, just briefly um, on on skills and employment support. I think this is a great example of how even when even if we get to a place where we're devolving a lot more power, there's still an important role for central government. And we absolutely shouldn't have a system where every part of the country has you know their, their own version of of, of skills. Um, they they should be able to choose which which courses they're offering, but they, sh they absolutely shouldn't be in a situation where there's different accreditation systems across the country. You know, don't be in a place where if you've trained in, in Leeds that you then can't go and get a job in Manchester. That would be ridiculous. So that's a clear case where a clear central framework mm. um, is a good basis under which then devolution can thrive. And on public services, I think it's really interesting how you know, we have actually made small steps, but notable steps in the past 10 years in English devolution. And both on the Conservative and Labour side, implicitly or explicitly, the motivation is is economic growth. And if you look at the powers that are devolved to mayors, it is mostly, Manchester's a bit of an exception with health, it is mostly economic policy. And I think there is a clear case to be made there, and it makes sense to go there first. I think the next frontier, if you like, um, alongside uh, fiscal devolution, which I'm definitely not going to get into now, <laughs> is public services. I think we need to think quite a lot about what model we'd adopt there and what that would look like, you know, given the 
the current set of agencies that are managing lots of different public services, currently with lots of different footprints that often don't overlay neatly onto combined authorities, for example. But if you think about the rationale for devolution in the economic space, the possibility of linking up, of joining up different policy and seeing the holistic view, there's absolutely that case in public services as well. And I think uh, over the next five, five years, hopefully that's somewhere the debate will go. Great. Okay, thanks, Tom. So uh, just like to say thanks to well, all our panel, um, including the two who've departed, and thank you all for joining us. Thank you. All for